Hello, and welcome to Chattering the Skull. I'm your host, Noah Witherspoon. We're starting off the second episode of Season 6 with quite the guest. Today, we have on a delightful person and stellar contemporary opera singer, Sarah Maria Sun. She's performed a myriad of separate structures of innovative pieces and has really embraced the a la mode style of opera. We'll begin the conversation with a bit of opera talk, then we'll jump over to her discography, and lastly, we'll discuss the thing you are all here for, which is how politics correlates to her music. Catch it all here on Chattering the Skull. everyone and welcome back to chatter on the skull today i've invited one of my favorite artists sarah maria sun and i'm just delighted to have her on how are you sarah hi noah so happy that we meet well thank you so much it's a pleasure to have you here well sarah i'm aware you performed a variety of pieces and to me i think contemporary opera and honestly just the contemporary genre is a collection of experimental demonstrations. So how do you get comfortable with each piece, knowing that the majority of them are going to be very separate in nature? I think that's exactly the thing that fascinates me. Um, I'm a person, I'm constantly curious and I'm very easily and very uh, uh, quickly bored if I repeat things. So I think I chose the kind of music that um, goes well with my personal character, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, and um, I remember when I studied, I studied classical singing and um, I thought I would become a classical opera singer or a lead singer. I really loved the repertoire to listen to it. Um, when I listened to opera, I only wonder like these stories, the storytelling and also the style of the music. I, I, I don't feel related to it. It doesn't, it doesn't relate to me, to my life, to how I experience um, society around me, how mm. I um, relate to the politics in which I live in. And um, yeah, but anyway, I, I, I'm becoming an opera star. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it stayed strange and, and dissociated uh, from, and then when I was like, I think 19, I had some great teachers who introduced me first to the musical world of Leonard Bernstein, 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 we, we say Bernstein yeah. here, <laughs> and uh, to Kurt Weill, 
modern composers. We call them modern, so the, right. the people that composed mainly in the 20th century, in the end of the 20th century. So, and I was absolutely thrilled and I immediately um, had the feeling, okay, wow, this is much more stuff that I feel I can embrace it when I sing it and I can embrace it also with my whole body, like every fiber inside me is singing this and is expressing this um, and I I feel I'm totally free uh, I don't have to fulfill a certain sound ideal um, that uh, the bel canto style the bel canto singing demands and um, so I am Sarah when I do that or I can become and Sarah can go away and become right. that role or that lead content and um, yeah so, so that made click and then I was introduced a little later to uh, pieces by Judge Ligeti mm. uh, a composer who um, made yeah probably you know his music from um, the Kubrick film the Kubrick film um, mm -hmm. Odyssey im Weltraum um, Ah. Uh, uh, well, what's the English original title? Uh, Spaceship Odyssey. Yeah. So, and he took uh, Kubrick took uh, this bit from Ligeti's piece, um, and that became world famous. And then Ligeti was world famous, but he composed um, certain voice pieces. Um, two of them are called Aventure and Nouvelle Aventure. And then there is a big music theater piece called Le Grand Macabre. And when I learned to know these pieces, that was it. I know, okay, this is the music I want to do for the rest of my life. That was my introduction to contemporary music theater and contemporary music. And it made me so excited, being so excited that I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. I was just <laughs> completely mesmerized by it. I'm aware you're quite educated on many traditional composers, so I thought it would be fun to outline a very well-known composer who traveled to the great country of Germany a lot, Mozart. After I heard Mozart's Fifth Symphony, more specifically in B major, I just fell in love with his music. So, Sarah, although you're an artist who focuses on neoteric music, I would love to hear your perspective on Mozart's music. And, of course, the amazing film Amadeus and their portrayal of him. I think that you would have a lot to say about that. So what's your take on that? Mozart! Oh my yeah. god, I thought you, you are talking about a contemporary um, composer. Oh. Um, so Mozart, yeah, this film came out, Amadeus, and um, mm -hmm. I really, it's, it's one of the rare films about a musician or an artist that I really enjoyed um, mm -hmm. because of the great performance and the great direction and it's it's a made-up film so it's it's a great storyboard I think they made a great job mm -hmm. in it and it's very enjoyable to watch we don't know how he was I think what is um, so liberating when you watch the movie is that he isn't this portrayed as this holy figure, you know, in, in mm -hmm. Austria, in Germany and Austria and France, all over Europe, Mozart is often seen as this uh, classical profile 
picture and a very serious genius musician who just sat down and wrote down all his genius ideas, never made corrections or barely never made corrections. Uh, he was one of these guys who could just like write it all down and it was just all there already. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, but uh, yeah, he was, well, he grew up as a miracle kid, you know, uh, this prodigy kid. He played the violin everywhere and for all the kings and queens and counts and whatever. And, uh, and then he started composing already as a small child and everything mm -hmm. was already there, you know. So, yeah, one out of billions of people. Um, mm. Yeah, a genius. Um, I, I know other composers um, who needed more time to develop and uh, nevertheless wrote incredible music that mm -hmm. is not worse than Mozart's music, right? right. So I think the, the point is not are you a genius from mm. your early childhood onwards or not, the thing is, so where are your, where is your mind leading to? Mm -hmm. Where is your mind leading you to? Yeah. That's a very bold stance. Speaking of bold, let's talk about your music. I discovered you from your album Killer Instincts. I found your music to be quite bold and I adored it. So how do you think most people react to hearing eccentric or avant-garde music? And do you think there is anything that the avant-garde community can do to attract a section of the mainstream audience? Um, so, it's so interesting, like the visual art business, for instance, mm -hmm. is um, completely um, embraced by the most conservative people. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, you can make money with it. <laughs> I think that's right. a very important aspect. Yeah, you buy a, a picture of an important painter, and then it's it just um, yeah, it, it makes more money when you sell it after a while. So that's an easy thing to embrace, right? But then music is so different because it's played and then it's gone. It's immaterial. It's an immaterial value. Uh, but like, and I know, for instance, some rare musicians who um, refuse to record any concert or any of their music because they say it's uh, uh, it's not what music is. It's uh, recording music is um, like uh, a cheating, yeah, mm. because the, the the value of music is that you need to digest it, suck it in, yeah, have the input mm. in this very uh, atom of a second, and then it's gone. And it makes something with your emotional life and with your brain uh, in that very moment. And if you hear another performance of the same piece half an hour later, something different will happen. So I understand these people, that's not how I tick. Uh, I like to record. I 
I also know that I listen to my recordings one year afterwards and I think, wow, nowadays I do everything completely different in a concert with these pieces. So I need to do it all again. But then, of course, I can't. <laughs> or, uh, um, yeah, but so you can't make money with, with music, especially not with contemporary music. And um, then you have to sit through a concert. You have to invest a lot of time for it. If you go to mm. a museum and you see pieces of art, it's your decision alone how much time you, you spend in front of a picture or a sculpture. You can spend 10 seconds or 10 minutes or three hours watching. Mm. If you decide, I go to a concert, you invest like up to three, four hours, like go there by tram or train or car. And then, and then perhaps you have to get makeup on or dress yourself. And then you sit there and then you can't leave if you dislike it or mm. if you leave it's a little scandal you know so yeah it's it's a tough decision and it's a sacrifice if you want mm. to call it that and um i understand that people have um certain uh, how do you call that it's not if you dislike something but you yeah you're very careful mm. to do that right such a big investment but then, when there, when there is this, this um, moment where it touches you and brain and guts and feelings and intellect all come together and then music can change you from inwards to outwards. And this is also a different way around to visual art because music uh, invades you through your ears so the ears that's the organ that is um, the first organ that's ready-made right when you're an embryo in, in the womb mm. so the ear is the first uh, um, finished organ and so all the subconsciousness all the deep 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 down buried um, memories yeah they all work a lot together with what you hear mm -hmm. and so we react so instinctively and a lot with our subconscious to stuff we hear and that's the big strength that music has and that can't be imitated by visual art that it touches um, so many things inside you invades you through through this organ really physically mm. it, the the sound waves invade you go directly down there in inside your skull yeah and um, yeah this is something that for me has a value that is beyond money and beyond so many other things um, mm -hmm. and I'm not the only one that's why people listen to music constantly all the time that's why right. Spotify all the streaming portals are so hyper successful people need music it's as important as eating sometimes or drinking or talking to friends mm. so the difference I think between 
pop music and rock music and contemporary music in the classical sense mm -hmm. is one of the following reasons, um, uh, one of the following aspects. Uh, if you go to, to listen to a certain pop song, you know what's awaiting you. You can predict the emotions that this piece is going to evoke inside of you. Um, so you consume it as um, something predictable. Mm. When you listen to a contemporary music piece that was freshly written, that for instance, I and an orchestra or I and an ensemble that we premiere just in that moment, it's completely unpredictable. So also your emotions that will feel the thoughts um, that are crossing your mind in that moment are totally unpredictable. And that's mm. a big risk that you undertake. It's an adventure. And there are these people who are hyper-adventurous. They love this fact. Mm. And then uh, there are people who do that from time to time, but mostly they prefer to listen to predictable music. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, like in Europe, we have still good policies who know that um, classical music uh, is based on this rich polyphonic and rich harmonic and rhythmical um, complex uh, systems and structures and that we need to support that with uh, uh, state fundings and state money from mm -hmm. the government to make it develop more and more and more support uh, composers young composers to create something new um, and um, I'm very grateful for that and I'm also fighting for that that we mm -hmm. We make sure that the politicians still see that value. It's not easy, you know, like every generation mm. of politicians, um, they try to cut down the fundings and then we have to stand up and say, no, 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 can't do that. It's um, you would uh, kill something that is very, very important for humanity. Yes, I totally believe in giving power back to the people and taking it away from these greedy corrupt politicians yeah like um corruption is um like going on everywhere i think in every country on this planet mm -hmm. uh, i am a friend of uh state fundings mm -hmm. because it allows you to be independent in uh, the creative process mm -hmm. your product doesn't have to fulfill the preferences of your donors yeah. or or of a certain audience and that is what uh, state fundings make possible you can be completely free in your artistic choices right up after this break we'll discuss how our politics influence our music we'll be back with more sarah maria sun Chatter in the Skull Season 6 
indisputable truth. Innocent until proven guilty. That's how it is in America. Reality checks. Let's face it, you are the exception, not the rule. Factual analysis. I mean, look at the stock. These people are clearly losing money. <laughs> we are turning the institution on its head. Let's obliterate the democratic establishment together on Chatter in the Skull, Season 6. Hello and welcome back to Chatter in the Skull. Today we have on Sarah Maria Sun, international star. Sarah is a liberal person and politics does play a role in her craft. So Sarah, how do you feel about what I feel is a divisive lie that the 2016 election was rigged by the Russians? Yes, and they also um invaded uh, some German elections and some other elections. I mean, this is now we have proof of this, right? So um, in several uh, uh, state votings, um, the uh, secret services found out um, afterwards they had uh, hacked in. The Clinton run investigation. I just want to be clear for our listeners also in Germany um, uh, through Merkel and um, after Merkel we found out that they hacked in so um, that that's for sure that they did that I think many countries hack into each other's and try to influence but like the the Russian invasion was massive so that was not a good thing personally I don't believe that Putin is a good guy I think the Kremlin is terribly corrupt, and I don't see any evidence from the Clinton-instigated investigation that Trump had anything to do with election rigging. Now, I completely understand your point about them rigging other countries' elections, and that may be true. But so far from the Clinton-run investigation, the same Clintons who carried the Monica Lewinsky scandal, the same Clintons who carried the Whitewater scandal, from that Clinton-run investigation, there hasn't been any concrete proof, other than hearsay and what seems to be a handful of lies. Um, I think, uh, like, the network that Trump um, span over his uh, professional career uh, is so full of corruption as far as investigations uh, showed until now. And he's used so many criminal methods um, uh, throughout these decades that for me, Clinton's scandals seem to be rather small. So I never understood um, why people even care the dimensions of these cases. Right, but as someone studying law, I can say that the charges brought against Trump have absolutely been laughable. That the re-impeachments in Atlanta, Miami, and New York. In Atlanta, the investigation's been going on for three years. All they found was a phone call, and the person conducting the investigation said, and I quote, 
I will not be rushed. In New York, they're charging him with election finance fraud. However, the election is for the presidency, which is out of New York's jurisdiction, so those charges are unlawful and unfounded, since the DA's office claims they have new evidence but won't share it with the court. In Miami, the documents case, I'm pretty sure other presidents have taken classified documents with them. I believe many Democratic presidents have. Those charges are also unfair since then-Senator and Vice President Biden did the same thing and no one's prosecuting him. It's innocent until proven guilty and so far, Trump has done nothing to display guilt. Next up, we'll be right back with musical legend Sarah Maria Sun. Are you tired of broken promises? Fed up with skyrocketing prices? It's time to hold the DNC accountable. The DNC claims to fight for the working class, but their actions tell a different story. Under their watch, our economy has suffered and hard-working Americans are paying the price. But we aren't done fighting for our country back. And in 2024, vote with your nation in mind. Hello and welcome back to Chatter in the Skull. We have on Sarah Maria Sun, and she's going to share a few experiences she had with some conservatives. Sarah is currently addressing an American journalist who disliked her album. Yeah. So, um, and then she said the whole album was only one big offense against Trump and his administration and um, that was absolutely not the intention of the album because the album was a try to look into uh, some humorous um, commentaries about narcissistic leading personalities in general and many countries worldwide uh, in the past 10 years had a new rise of politicians who have this kind of personality and Trump is only one of them. So this certain narcissistic um, vain persona um, that, that really like pulls uh, millions and millions of people um, behind which which rules through an autocracy and through machism and um, yeah very very horrible talk and a very um, uh, uh, how do you call that in English um, when you when you make others feel small yeah I think what you mean is demeaning. 
demeaning thank you yeah that's the word mm -hmm. so like bolsonaro and orban all these new autocrats erdogan in turkey and um holland even in europe you know we have le pen mm -hmm. in Fr france and so many countries everywhere in the world there, there is this need it seems uh among the the public to have a new strong leadership and um yeah the album was like a humorous statement about this condition we are all in it was not specifically trump that was mm. one event and then um the other event was that the main distributor for mode records um who is also responsible for advertisement in the mm. u.s for this album i got a, a personal email from the head of the advertisement office of this distributor and he said also that he thinks that the whole album is an offense against trump and he's supporting trump and that's why he can't do any advertisement in the u.s for this album mm. and that was a bit shocking for me because um if they only have this opinion wow that's that's fine uh, although mm -hmm. i didn't mean the album in that way um but for me shocking was that for instance the distributing company is one of the two big companies left in the us and if they say no to an album mm -hmm. that means that this album is basically not promoted in the us so if mm. they do that with my album, they do it with other albums too. And so they suppress um, diversity in opinions and in comments and in, um, in a democratic um, discussion, public mm. discussion about um, events. And that I, th that I found really worrying. Absolutely. I do believe in freedom of speech. I believe in freedom for all. However, freedom is a double-edged sword. It can be used for good or bad. One thing you should not use freedom for is to stifle another person's freedom, as I believe they did with your album. Speaking as a Trump supporter, I would not have done that to your album. I think your album is fantastic. I don't think it was against Trump, and I know that wasn't your intention. Also, I was very lucky to have found it in the U.S. knowing what I know now regarding the advertisement. I'm all for your music. I'm all for you speaking your mind. We do disagree on a bit, but I did hear you mention a name that's quite influential to me. Marine Le Pen. If you would be so kind to tell my audience who she is, I'd be very grateful. Um, so, Marine Le Pen is... Um the daughter of um, Monsieur Le Pen, who was um, the most important man for the most conservative and right-wing party in France. Marine, um, as his daughter, overtook the leadership of this right-wing party. And uh, this party is, since many, many years, um, very very strong in france and there's always it's it's just on the edge that they become um, the leading party in france and that they win the next election 
And so far, uh, Macron could um, just overtake in, with a few votes. Um, so, but uh, yeah, because this party is also coming from a quite fascist uh, background and has still a fascist tendency, although some of them deny it, others don't. It's like the AfD in Germany, which is also a very right-wing, not only conservative, but really right-wing and um, yeah, party with a Nazi tendencies and with lots mm -hmm. of um, uh, um, uh, members who are, for instance, Reichsbürger, so people who deny the reality of a German state and of the German laws. Yeah, so and they they exclude themselves. They even build up their own system for passports, etc., and for identi identification cards, um, because they come from the Hitler regime and they they still mm -hmm. think. Um, everything should be different, very fascist. So we have these fascists in the AfD in Germany, we have fascists in um, the uh, Le Pen party, as we call them in, in Germany. I understand what you're saying, but as a supporter of Le Pen and her father and the party, I think comparing those two groups is a bit unfair. I don't see it as fascist. Uh, Actually, I see it as quite the opposite. Fascism is not what this party stands for. This party stands for the people of France. I think the mission is quite liberating in an aspect, especially in the face of immigration adversity throughout Europe. So I think comparing Le Pen's party with a radical neo-Nazi group is a bit unfair. Many members of the AfD are coming oh. from a Nazi background, okay. which is true that's a fact that's not my opinion that that is what it's like and also that there are fascists in the pen's party and that is also a fact that's not my opinion that is true yes but i'm sure people in leadership roles are not embracing fascism it's what the party originally stood for yes but i'm sure it's not like that today She's denying that that was her first act, but before she had been elected, she went completely for all the um, all the um, uh, uh, stuff that her father had stood for. So it was just a change of the how, how do you call that when you change your um, we say das Fähnchen mit dem Wind and then how's that saying in English when you change your uh, the words that come out of your mouth according yeah. to the more more populistic point of view flip-flopping flip-flopping i i don't know yeah how how the saying yeah. goes in mm -hmm. yeah. we accuse a lot of politicians of flip-flopping here it played a very large part in the bush v Kerry campaign well we have to face it there are big problems in france and in europe as a whole Marine Le Pen plans to solve those problems. And the French people are not finding that guidance in President Macron, so they will have to find it in Miss Le Pen. 
and if they cannot find it, then that's their own fault. But it seems like there's this huge awakening happening right now that there is a massive problem that Miss Le Pen is pointing to, and that is the immigration problem. Now, this problem is very pervasive, especially in France, because when someone is spitting in your cop's face, when someone is stomping on the flag, when someone is soiling your country, and they're the ones who wanted to be here, how can you not want them to leave? Oh, oh God. So, um, when you come from a, a country where war is going on, or you are a woman and men try to kill you because you are a woman, or you are gay and people try you because you are, try to kill you because you are gay, or uh, you have to fight in a war that you don't think is your war and you don't want to kill others, or for so many reasons. You have to flee the country you were born in. And then you try to go somewhere and then the events are bringing to you to certain other states. And the flight itself is a nightmare. Um, and then you are there and people, first of all, it's not easy to get to the point where you become a legal uh, immigrant. So it's a long process. I, I know that because my parents um, hosted uh, many uh, immigrant children. So, and my mother and my father fought for so many uh, immigrants to get their st status uh, of legal um, existence in Germany. So how can you talk about immigrants as a mass of people who don't respect your country or the laws? It's like millions of people who fled for a good reason and they are all individual cases and you have to take every case in regard individually. You can't talk about immigrants as a mass of something specific or special that's not possible i personally know how it feels because my country is flooded with immigrants when five million immigrants come knocking at your door and pour through the southern border with the help of cartels that is a mass of people who do not respect the rule of law i can refer to them as a mass of people because that is what they are however I enjoy legal immigration. I enjoy when a victim displays the courage and willpower to be free. However, while each case may be different in nature, each case is inherently the same. Why would it be the same? It's the same because the circumstances are predictable. It's either war or the government. Why are they predictable? Because they are completely unpredictable. It's predictable because it's usually either a war-torn country or a country's government creating a divisive environment for the citizens. I think um, when you flee your country, you have no money in your pocket, you have no foreseeable future, you don't know anybody in the country where you're going to, you have children and they are dependent on you, you're a woman, you are in danger the whole journey through. Um, your mother of two, three or more children or only one child or no mother, but you are a woman and f fleeing. 
mm-hmm. um, for your life because it, it's about your pure existence and um, what what is predictable in that. I think where you come from is predictable, especially since war happens every day. As someone with experience meeting immigrants, I understand their past experiences or motivations for immigration are mostly predictable. Yeah, um, I understand, I think, what you mean, but like when a party is mainly giving immigration um, the responsibility for things going wrong in your country and when they say that the economies don't work because of the immigration and illegal immigrants that is a lie of this party and the leaders of this party because economies in a country don't go wrong because of the few immigrants that we have at least not in France and not in Europe so economies go wrong because like the the big big industries perhaps go wrong or because there's corruption going on in many other countries or there are many reasons but not because of the immigrants in germany for instance we desperately need more immigrants and the afd for instance our most right-wing party here they also give all the responsibility and all the blame for things going wrong to immigrants which is completely up and upside down because we would need two million more immigrants just to keep our economies going without them we are completely so they are turning everything upside down and because people fall for easy explanations they believe this but it's a lie Well, you can say it's a lie, but many economic experts would disagree. Economy experts say for most of the countries that we need immigration and we need immigrants because our economies, because we get older in our societies, people don't have so many children anymore. Um, We don't die, we become older and older. So to keep Mm -hmm. the economies going and running, we need immigrants. Yes. I'm sure you do. Germany is one of the few examples where a country needs immigrants. I sympathize, however, many other European countries are overflowing with them. An immigrant-led economy would also stifle native European growth, which would upset citizens. The simple fact of the matter is, most of the European countries and most countries in the world, most big powerhouse countries in the world, do not need more immigrants. Now we'll go over to closing thoughts. So, Sarah, do you have anything you'd like to leave our listener with? So, music is one good example um, where people can get connected even if they have very different political opinions or Um, very different lifestyles because I think music especially when there are no um, very determined words in it it's so abstract 
that you can interpret a lot in them, in it, into the music, and um, you can play it or sing it together with people who are very different from from you, and um, everybody has his or her own feelings and thoughts about it. So music is such an open form, and that's why it connects so many people. And that's why, for instance, um, the West Ivan Orchestra of Daniel Barbon was such a wonderful uh, invention, where he connected Israeli and uh, Palestinian people and um, Muslims and Hebrews and Christians and all all kinds of religions and or kids who grew up with different religions could like play together in this orchestra and just focus on music and not on politics and um, they could have different opinions but still play together and have a talk a very productive very constructive talk um, with their musical instruments and in the pieces they play together. So that's one thing why I think we all appreciate music so much. Wow. Thank you so much, Sarah. This was a fantastic conversation. And although I disagree with you politically, I continue to respect your passion for justice and freedom universally shared with many in the modern world. And I continue to adore your music to the listener, that concludes this episode. Keep on speaking your mind. I'm your host, Noah Witherspoon, and I'll see you next time on Chatter on the Skull.